Welcome in everyone to another episode of our Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm Matt DeMarinas. She's Megan Ballinger. Um, we are back here to talk about Creighton's another 2-0 weekend for the Jays. Uh, they swept uh, Xavier on Friday and then beat Butler in four sets uh, Sunday or today. Um, so that keeps the Jays tied with Marquette. Um in first place in the Big East standings, both teams are 12 and 2. Obviously, the Jays have that tiebreaker. So, for seeding purposes, they'll be the one seed if they both remain tied. Um, Marquette almost got beat at St. John's, but the Red Storm had a 2 1 lead at four sets and then a 13 10 lead in the fifth, but could not finish the deal. So, Marquette's had a couple of those. Like, I think DePaul had them beat and then St. John's had them beat. And they came back from the dead in both of them. So, um, only the Jays have figured out how to put the Golden Eagles away this year. Um, and then UConn's sitting there one match back, uh, still hanging in, waiting for Creighton and Marquette to have a really bad weekend, I guess. Um, but yeah, let's get into, uh, Megan, let's get into the J how the Jays did this weekend. Uh, starting with that Xavier match. Um, I did have a takeaway, but I'm curious to see what you thought. Cause I, I uh, you can, I guess you can go first. Uh, what your main points of emphasis were in terms of why the Jays were successful um, in relatively dominant fashion on Friday? Yeah, you know, I think they at many times did things fundamentally really well. So, you know, pass and serve, I thought, and then defense and blocking, you know, it's kind of kind of the areas they typically hang their hat on, um, especially this season. I think that's really been an area of strength for them, just those few skills. But yeah, I don't know. It was a little bit of a back and forth match. I thought Xavier sometimes, um, you know, pushed them um, maybe more than I thought that they would. Um, but I think Crane adjusted overall, you know, and kind of figured out what they were going to throw at them. And um, we're able to come out on top um, in pretty dominant fashion. Yeah, I think the thing that surprises me, I don't know. The Big East feels better this year. It just does. Like every more teams are passing the eye test, and I'm not like as I'm not as harsh about Creighton not just smoking teams. You know, keeping them under twenty all the time. Uh, I I thought Creighton controlled this match for the most part, but Xavier like Xavier's weird because they looked like they I don't know. They just look physically. They, physically, they looked the part. I thought their setter was really good. Gave Creighton a lot of problems in terms of like, you know, she's very aggressive, but it's not like Taylor Wolf who will take like full on swings on that right side of the net. She like two shoots a lot. Uh, Kerrigan O'Reilly, I'm talking about two shoots a lot. And she gave the Jays a lot of problems with that on Friday. Um, even though, you know, you can, ex you know, she's going to do it, but she still picked her times very well because, her hitting efficiency was really good. I just think, you know, it's, it's crazy because Xavier came in, I think they had lost five or six in a row. Like they were really reeling. Um, and they played like a desperate team. I thought the Jays played two desperate teams this weekend a little bit, but I don't know at six and eight and with things going sideways for Xavier, I was still kind of impressed with them from an eye test standpoint. And I just like, I thought the Jays played, you know, Played pretty well, a pretty overall, like, controlled the match type of game. You know what I mean? Like, you know, their hitters hit well. Nora Nora was really good. Um, 
I don't know if they blocked really well. I guess maybe not typical of what they usually do, I guess. Yeah, I didn't think it was super dominant. Compared at least to what Xavier did, I kind of thought it was almost, you know, a little bit even there, like blocking-wise. Yeah. But the thing that stood out to me was uh, Creighton. I don't know how I would phrase it. Like, I think maybe secondary serving. I'm not trying to, like, put players down, but I think, like, Creighton's got three really good ones that they they relied on all year in Jayla Zimmerman, Abby Bottomley, and Keely Davis, right? Not in any particular order. Um, but on Friday, Kendra Waite, Ali Van Ekren, um, and Nora Sis were, I thought their rotations and their serve, their serving in particular was a pretty big reason that Creighton, you know, was able to control the match on Friday. I don't know if, if Xavier necessarily had as much trouble handling the top three, as opposed to when those other three were, you know, behind the line. That's the one thing that kind of stood out to me was, oh, wow, Creighton's kind of getting some some uh, disruptive serving from the three that maybe aren't always part of the serving rotation, you know? Yeah, I thought so too. And yeah, all those um, girls you named, I thought, yeah, were, you know, going on runs, which is obviously what you want to see, you know? So if everybody kind of raises their level serving, I think only good things will happen. When, uh, how tough is it to find like six reliable servers like that? I mean, you practice it a lot, but, you know, you, you try to mix and match. Obviously, the, the Jayla, Jayla and Keely and um, Abby and Nora, I guess, are always going to be in there, right? And Kendra has been kind of given a spot these last few, maybe month or so, right? She doesn't come out anymore. Um, so Allie maybe is a surprise this weekend in terms of just trying to step up and solidify a spot. But it seems like Creighton's got six had six really good servers this weekend. And then when you factor in Ellie Bolton from maybe that last home weekend, they played against Marquette and, uh, or DePaul and uh, Georgetown and Villanova, I should say. Um, I thought she served really well too. Like, so that's maybe seven deep in terms of servers they can rely on to be disruptive, um, play a good defense when you're, when you get in front of the line and then, um, you know, just keep your team, keep the other team out of system as much as possible, right? Does that feel like they're starting to develop some some depth there? Yeah, you know, I think it's helpful. And, you know, the thing you have to think about too sometimes is maybe you have a great server, but maybe they're just not as strong defensively. So it's like right. if they're in there, they put a good serve over, but are we going to be able to extend points and go on a run? Um, you know, so it's kind of that balancing act of like, mm-hmm. is somebody more of like a liability on defense or, you know, are we okay with maybe not like the toughest serve going in and playing really good defense around it? So it just kind of depends on those matchups, um, you know, and the rotation that other teams are in and just kind of the offense that you're going to see um, coming at you. But yeah, I think, you know, if you get everybody hitting good, solid serves, um, I just think it'll be super helpful and, you know, it's probably not going to be someone's night every single night. Serving can be kind of a streaky thing. It seems you can get in a really good rhythm and, you know, be serving really aggressively, you know, all night. And then maybe you have a night where you're just like your hand contact's not as good or like your toss is not feeling right or something. So mm. it's just one of those things that are seem to be a little bit streaky. So if you're hitting it well, you're hitting it well. And sometimes you can struggle a little bit. What do you, what's the key for avoiding streakiness? I guess. How do you, well, maybe that's not the right way to say it because that just comes and goes, right? So it is a little bit fickle, but 
you know, if you're not if you're not scoring or if you're not getting a team out of system, how do you keep it from maybe being a high error, uh, a high error where your aggressiveness is working against you and your team? Yeah, I would say the main thing is just focusing on having a really good toss and then really good hand contact. Um, you know, at least if you get some movement on the ball and you drive it deep into seams. I mean, it's just kind of like game planning. At least, you know, maybe you pop it over, not the hardest serve, but at least if you place it well, um, you know, you can kind of make people question, you know, what their teammate's going to do next to them. So I think that's, you know, the main thing is, you know, kind of placement um, as well as hand contact. Yeah, and Xavier did switch the barrels, I think, in the third set on Friday too. So maybe that was something that um, Creighton was able to, to, you know, force them to blink a little bit because of the serve receive game. What you, what you mentioned, I think in your career, you talked about your, your uh, mindset when it comes to serving too. What, what type of uh, technique did you have specifically in terms of um, hand contact and how important was that for you in terms of getting a good, uh, you know, a good aggressive serve over there, but also not necessarily making it one where it was a, a high risk maneuver. Yeah, I mean, when I served, mostly I just thought about my hand contact. Honestly, my toss in front of me, jumping through the ball if I was jump serving. Um, if not, you know, just staying on the ground, stepping and having really good hand contact and just kind of trying to make the ball float and hopefully place it well, um, deep in those seams between passers. Gotcha. Yeah, so uh, another good night, Veronica Welty against Xavier. Nine kills, 17 swings. She hit 471. And then uh, Kiana Schmidt, who, you know, didn't get – um, into the double digits in terms of sets, but she was still three out of six. So another really good night for Annika and Kiana. Um, seems like they're that's like a pretty well-established rhythm they're in right now, right? It's like at this point you feel pretty comfortable about relying on them in terms of hitting the slide, being dangerous on the right side, giving Kendra some options to back set and, uh, you know, spreading out Creighton's attack a little bit. Yeah, I like that rotation kind of with those two as your middles because um, I think they both really do run that slide well. Mm. Um, and I think, too, that that quick is coming kind of into fruition, especially with Annika. I think there's been a couple times in, you know, the match today and then the match on Friday where she hits the quick well, and I think her arm swing is pretty fast. So at times, you know, blockers can, you know, be late or things. So I think she – hits that really well and hopefully they keep kind of going to that or um, running the one in front and then running that six right behind the setter um, as a quick ball. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think she does that well. So if she can kind of get everything, you know, in her game, that slide and a couple quicks to where she moves around, I think that could be really helpful going forward. Yeah. So now you're talking about middle diversity, right? So it's, it's just, it's not only spreading out the attack, but it's also, making it tough to, to scout Kiana and Annika and make them uncomfortable. Yeah. Like where you say, okay, you know, follow them as well as you can, if they start to leak out to that, to that slide. But if they start to establish the quick a little bit more, that makes it difficult because then you're opening up stuff for Kendra because you saw how many times Kendra go with the behind the back setter dump right this weekend where, you know, it felt like middles weren't the middle, middle those middle blockers weren't leaving Annika. So Kendra had opportunities to, expose the right side a little bit if she was trying to run the quick with Annika and Kiana, right? Yeah, exactly. It just, you know, it's super helpful when you have middles that can kind of hit a lot of different sets and move them around and kind of just try to piece the puzzle together offensively um, and kind of throw them wherever. And if they, you know, can have success at whatever, you know, location across the net, 
it's just really helpful and kind of helps you game plan and create openings for a lot of people. Mm. So um, when you're watching the Butler match, like, did you have flashbacks of your, of some matches you played against them in your career? Because I couldn't help, but just like, as I'm watching it play out, like there's so many long rallies, so many great defensive plays. Offense is not easy to come by. Um, and neither team is like giving an inch. It just felt like one of those like classic Creighton Butler battles, which is kind of like an underrated little, because Creighton's won like 17 in a row now, it doesn't seem like they have a rival in this league, but I feel like Butler's a team that just like always gets into like a little, just, you know, it's like a game of chicken with Creighton. And then like, it's whoever blinks first is kind of going to be the one on the short side of it. Um, but it just felt like a battle today. It felt like it was really tough, hard fought match. Yeah, this that match was really, really fun to watch. And, you know, I was impressed, honestly, with Butler's defense mm-hmm. several times. Or Libero, especially. I just thought, I mean, she was flying around, throwing out one hand, but, like, getting a perfect pass, you know? Just, yeah. you know, just crazy things that I just was super impressed with her and just with their tenacity, honestly, to extend those rallies. And Butler honestly won most of those long rallies today. So mm-hmm. I thought at times maybe, you know, that'd be the momentum shift and you'd see – Butler, you know, reel off a few more points. But I think Creighton overall, you know, just played their game and, you know, continued on and didn't really, you know, let the momentum shift too much. Yeah, there were two, like, there were two sets where Creighton kind of showed their quality, right? Three and – or two and four, where it would just, like, they kind of got Butler on tilt a little bit and overwhelmed them from a – just from a talent and execution standpoint. But, you know, when you're watching one and three, I mean – they now these are these are the two best defensive teams in the conference. So that wasn't it, it wasn't totally surprising. You're just wondering if both will show up and execute that yeah. scouting plan um against each other because eventually some especially after the way set two went, right? So game one being close was like, all right, well, these are the two best, you know, blocking, digging, um, you know, however you want to rate the defense serving uh teams in the league. So you you weren't really surprised that both of them were, you know, hovering around the 100 mark, even though it's not the prettiest thing in the world. You still understand that, yeah, that's kind of what those teams do to opponents. So they both kind of had their way with each other defensively in set one. What did you see in game two that allowed Creighton to rip off just one really clean, error-free, mostly set offensively? Like what got them in sync in set two that – help them never kind of look back and cruise to that 25-12 win? I just thought, honestly, they played really clean, almost in every aspect. Um, so it's, you know, kind of everything you want to see out of a match. And um, I thought defense and blocking definitely propelled mm-hmm. them and just allowed them to, you know, be able to run their offense. And I also thought they connected really well with their hitters. And I thought Kendra, you know, kind of spread it out well and, place the ball well overall in that specific set, just so, you know, everyone is kind of in rhythm when they're taking their attacks. When you, you know, you guys have talked a lot about over the years about playing clean volleyball. What does that entail? Or maybe since it's probably a lot of details involved, what are the main tenets of it? Like, what are you looking for? Like what's A, B, C, what's the most important things in terms of how, how to play some clean volleyball that'll get us into a rhythm and the rest of it will follow. Um, I guess the first thing I would say is 
like ser- serving pass, especially to, you know, not making errors, huge errors serving. Right. I mean, at least get the ball in, make them make a choice, you know, if they're going to pass and, um, service wise, I think just communicating and at least getting that ball, you know, hopefully to target, but at least somewhere in the middle of the court where you can run your offense. Um, and then other things like taking a good approach and a swing, a good aggressive swing and, um, the smart swing, you know? So, I think if you have to tip it, you have to tip it. But I mean, just taking a really nice aggressive swing. That's not, you know, super risky where it's like, all right, it's either in or it's out. Like I, you know, Mm -hmm. I have no choice here. So I think just things like that. And then I think other ways you kind of see that tangibly is like a point goes on and, um, you know, maybe a free ball comes over. Okay. Are we putting our free ball off the net where we can only run two hitters? Are we like locked in? We're putting that on our setter's head where she has every choice of offense. So it's just mm-hmm. things like that, that maybe not everyone would notice, but it's just like very finite. And it's almost like being perfect, right? Like we have this opportunity, let's put the pass right on our setter's head, you know? So everything's, you know, we have all our attacks and if Crane has four attackers coming at the other team in system, I think it's, you know, pretty hard for any team to stop, frankly. Yeah. What's it feel like when you're in a rhythm like that offensively? Cause you, the, the 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 curse about volleyball is that you only get to go to 25 and then you reset and everything kind of has to you kind of have to find the magic again right but what is what does the rhythm feel like when you're in like you get off to like a 4050 you know build a 62 type of lead and you know you you've you've terminated your first three opportunities you're not making errors you're putting the ball where it needs to be like when all that stuff is starting to click like how does that feel for a whole team? Does it permeate? Does everybody feel like, okay, we've got something rolling here. Let's keep it going. Do you sense it? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, yeah, you sense it and you notice, I mean, you maybe look at the score, but you just, you know, you feel it a little bit. It's just like domination, honestly, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're there. It's basically just like, okay, like I know where she's hitting it. Okay. I knew where to block. Like we know where to go on defense. So it's just almost like you're in the right spots at all the time, you know, all the time during, hopefully a little spurt of playing really clean volleyball and just like Mm. dominating. It's interesting that because in volleyball, there's a lot of guessing that goes into it. Obviously it's read and react too, but the, the, the play moves so fast and there's so many moving parts that you do almost have to guess right in certain instances and and just be in the right spot because that's what you decided to do. Um, So it's a lot of decision-making and just kind of living with the results. And then you move on from point to point. But it, it, it is kind of interesting the way things just kind of flowed for Creighton in that second set because it is, like you said, they were everything from ball placement to blocking, um, just kind of all aspects of their game, whether it was like a guessing game or not. It felt like they were just pushing all the right buttons. Yeah, exactly. And I think like a good example of that is to today, Annika was in the middle with no blockers helping and just dove really hard and stuff blocked you know the middle that was big So I think from that aspect you train that right but at the same time she could have you know dove the other way Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of an instinct thing but at the same time she you know just trusts her training but also has to take a risk there and you know hope that it turns out well and in that instant it turned out really well it was a really good momentum changer for Creighton absolutely I mean and you remember we we talked about it last weekend too with Kiana um in transition right and she dove to the left and got that solo block. Yep. Today, Anika dove to the right in the middle of the net and got the solo block. So, like, both of those plays happened in transition. Both your middle blockers went, chose different, different, made different decisions, but both got good results out of it. So, it is interesting that how, like, you just kind of got to 
you know, it is like you just got to believe in what you're doing out there. Trust your training. Make a like have a, a have some conviction behind your decision and then go make a play. Mm-hmm. I think I think I think from athlete to athlete, like if you're whether you're training young players or whether you're a veteran yourself and have been around and done it a lot, like that's kind of just how you loosen up, right? Is if like I just kind of trust my instincts and it'll work because I've put in a lot of work, it'll work out for me in terms of results more often than not, right? Yeah, and I think like something like that is definitely an instant where it's like, I can't be thinking, you know, like I can't be overanalyzing what's going on. I'm literally just seeing this girl and I'm like, okay, her approach tells me to go this way. Right. Like in the back of my head, I'm thinking that, but I don't think that in the moment I'm just there and I'm like, okay, I'm diving because this is what I should do. And I just know I should. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's fun to see. Like, it's funny to see how it plays out in real time because like you said, you don't have time to think it through. You just got to do it. And if you're wrong, you're wrong, but and you got to move on to the next point. That's kind of like the game within the game. But it is interesting to see how two different tactics that are both drilled into them from Kiana and Annika's standpoint worked out for both of them in that situation where they were both isolated, which is what offenses want, right? You want single block. You want one blocker in front of you. That's, that's, a, that's a high percentage opportunity for the offense. And it was in transition too, which meant Creighton was kind of scrambling defensively. And both of those players made up. And and Aunt Kiana's uh, block last weekend was big, too, in terms of changing momentum. So, yeah, that's two instances right there where the instincts kind of took over and paid off for Creighton within a match. Um, set three was wild. I mean, so many back-and-forth moments, so many long rallies. Like, Butler would go on, like, a, a 3-0 scoring run, 4-0 scoring run. Creighton would call a timeout, come out of the timeout, go on 5-1, 6-1 run get the lead back. Butler would call timeout, go on a run, get the lead. It was like so much back and forth. Like I would, I honestly feel like just going back and watching set three again, because it was so much of a seesaw battle where both teams kind of needed moments where they had to compose themselves, refocus and answer um, the other team's challenge. That was kind of a really fun set to watch. Yeah, I thought it was fun, and I guess afterwards I read they combined, both teams combined for 75 digs in that third set, That's which is just wild. Insane. I mean, in a, in a third set to have that many digs across the board for both teams, you know, both teams combined, crazy. And, I, I mean, several of those long rallies happened, um, you know, on that set too. But, yeah, it was a really, really fun match to watch and just kind of to see people fly around and mm. for them to scramble. And there were just several points where, you know, odd things happened. I think the libero like literally did the splits and like kicked the ball you know yeah, the outside like right. kicked the ball like covered herself it was just fun to watch it's fun to watch them you know just fly around it was so fun yeah it, it reminded me of i don't i can't remember what year it was it might have been 2017 i don't think it was your senior year so you know it was a, it was like a five setter at hinkle and it just felt like it was such an exhausting match to watch but then you could also Volleyball players are really, you know, you guys are like stone cold, hard to read because you're emotional um, when things go well, but it's like a, you know, it's enthusiastic emotion today in set three. Mm -hmm. I was like, these, everybody looks exhausted right now. Like this set is grueling. It's physically demanding. And there are like, there are few and the smiles are few and far between. Even when you win a point, you're just like, let's, it's just a bad, every point was a battle. 
Yeah, <laughs> that it was. Yeah, those long rallies will get you winded. That's for sure. Yeah, it's how do you how do you keep sharp mentally when physically it's starting to wear down like that? Because I I can't imagine, you know, even for, you know, step four got kind of lopsided, but you know it. It just felt like both teams had to dig deep just to finish this thing. You know, even from Creighton's perspective of they got on a pretty good roll in set four, so maybe it wasn't as grueling for them, but it just felt like they had to dig deep to even put set four together the way they did. Yeah, you know, I still thought set four was pretty back and forth. And, man, both teams, I thought, fly. you know, were flying around defensively and – Butler at times looked really, really good offensively. So yeah. it kind of, you know, it was a different team for Creighton to kind of see coming at them, I thought, um, at different times in that third and fourth set. So mm-hmm. Creighton just kind of had to adjust and roll with the punches, I thought, because Butler got some big kills and Creighton really just had to be like, okay, let her have her kill. Like, we need to move on and go on runs. <laughs> um, Melody, Melody Davidson um, came into today. I think she was – uh, fourth in hitting, sixth in kills, and first in blocks. So she was a big piece of what Butler does, both defensively and offensively. But today, um, you know, she only got three blocks. She had one net violation. Uh, and then five kills, four errors, and four, you know, four games. So Creighton really neutralized her offensively. How did – you know – and you know what Butler does in terms of style, like they're not very orthodox, right? So what did you see in terms of, you know, Creighton's uh, defensive tactics that were, um, you know, able to like help them neutralize one of the top offensive weapons in the conference? I mean, I thought they just keyed, keyed on her blocking and kind of just knew. I thought they knew the scout well on her, honestly, because um, mm. I thought she'd go off a little bit more, you know, and get some more kills. Yeah. But no, I think they were just really locked in and tracked her well. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then defensively, obviously, they played a really, really good game. So I think that was just really helpful. But yeah, I think the main thing was just scouting and kind of knowing her tendencies. Can you, how do you neutralize a blocker? Like, can you explain that a little bit? Because, you know, she's one of the top blockers in the conference, but it didn't seem like you know, it didn't seem like Creighton was letting her get into position. Maybe, and obviously she's trying to read on her side of the thing. So it could have been just her not picking the right, making the right decisions. But it felt like Creighton didn't let her kind of get those big ace blocks that would motivate and get Butler pumped up and, you know, those big momentum swinging stuff that she's usually, you know, good for. You know, I think the biggest thing is you kind of make your blockers move, right? You kind of just toy with them almost and like run different combinations and maybe you drop the ball inside, you know, maybe you run all the way to the pin. So you kind of just alternate and by making people move, it makes them, you know, not as big of a threat because they have to get their feet there, you know, yeah. one and then get their hands across um, into the area that you're hitting. So that's the biggest thing. I mean, you don't really want to run straight out of blocker, right. And not make a move because I mean, most of the time it's an ace block. They don't yeah. have to do anything really, you know, they don't have to really do any work for it besides jump. So <laughs> yeah, if they're yeah. lined up, if they're lined up and you're like, all right, well, here's where you're going. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Otherwise <laughs> you're throwing it. I don't know. Throwing it off of them, hitting high hands would be the other thing. So yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one thing you talked about in the first match, leading up into the first matchup and obviously it's kind of like Butler's staple is that they'll, they'll throw a lot of junk, right? Like they're not, it's not a very, it's not a very orthodox style of attacking. Uh, 
Um, but it didn't seem like they got money junk balls down today. Like, uh, you know, I thought just from Creighton's end of it, they were locked into that part of the game plan, knowing that Butler's going to do some things that are unconventional to try to steal some points and keep themselves in it a little bit and maybe curb some runs. Um, what, what did you see from Creighton's defense that, you know, that showed you they were sharp on that end? Because it didn't seem like Butler was able to get much of that part of their offense going at all today at any point. Yeah, I know there was like one instance where they tried to throw it, but then she got called for a lift. So yeah. I was going to say that was really the only other time that I think I saw somebody, you know, try to really throw it hard. But um, just, you know, from that aspect, I think the main thing is having your off blockers really engaged and, you know, moved moving forward, leaning forward. You know, if that ball is thrown over really short, just – just knowing that they might do that, I think is the biggest thing because some, you know, most teams you're going to play, they're not going to do that. So you're just not expecting it. So I think yeah. just being aware and like having those off blockers engage um, and could be ready to move, you know, if that ball's kind of dumped over short is just the biggest thing. Um, some individual performances. Let's isolate a little bit. I, again, I thought it was a really good serving day for Allie Van Ekren. Um, she didn't get any, I don't think she got any aces. Did she get one ace? Nope. No aces. Sorry. Wait. No, she got one. Yeah. So she got one ace, but she's serving from, um, you know, right behind zone one a lot. She goes that deep corner and she likes to go to that opposite corner. She likes to go zone one. Like how tough of a serve is that for, you know, that to be your kind of money serve on the opposite end of the floor. Is that a difficult thing to land? Especially when you're, she's coming at it from the outside arm too. You know, it's not like, I think Keeley goes from, where is it? Is three on the other end of the floor, right? What, what's the other zone on the opposite of one? One, two. Uh, five. Five, okay. So Keeley goes from five to five with her inside with her mm-hmm. inside arm, right? So Allie's going from one to one with her outside arm. Is that How tough of a serve is that to, you know, to not only keep it in, but make it disruptive like she was all weekend? Yeah, I would say that serve is pretty difficult. I mean, for the passer to receiving that, mm. um, it's pretty difficult because you have to track it. And typically people are in front of you too. Um, like if your setter's at the net, that ball can come over and kind of get lost. Um, and, you know, too, for that passer, they have to pass it in front of their setter, yeah. which isn't typically the easiest like angle to take as a passer. Most passers like to take like the ball over their left shoulder. It's just like naturally more easy. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's a really tough serve, especially for the passer that's going to receive that because they have to track it for a long time, and then they have to make that angle, which isn't the most like natural angle. Yeah, that's an interesting note because I didn't think about it like that. But she, you know, Allie's hitting that seam a lot, but that middle bag is normally the one passing it, which is you know probably she's their best passer. So, um, but she is hitting it with like very little room on the court left and trying to direct it to the middle of the net where her setter can have four options. Right. So that's, uh, if you can, uh, as much as Allie hit that all weekend, that's really just, that's a really good weapon for Creighton to have in one of these rotations. If a, if, you know, you got a server who can, you know, stand at the far corner of behind zone one and nail the seam on the other end of the court. Right. Yeah. And I think you kind of see it the other way too. Like if she were to hit it line, like line down the line, yeah. like line to line, that's really hard too, just because it gets on your passer really fast. So okay. it's kind of that different game of like, okay, that ball can get on her fast. So we can make, you know, our passer track it for a long time and maybe the ball drops or, you know, maybe it floats deep and catches someone high. 
um, where, you know, they're kind of like just standing straight up and passing it straight up so it doesn't get to the net. So there's just a few different things, you know, you can think about and yeah, creating chaos for the passes on the other side is the most important thing. So if you're hitting right back and a setter is running up to the net too, it's just chaotic and can kind of make that setter in a disarray. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put what Allie's weekend was like. She created chaos. Cause like, and she played well defensively too. That, that there was the point against Xavier. I think it was maybe 1918, something like that in set three. And her and Ellie Bolton had two really, you know, had to cover a lot of ground to get, uh, you know, a couple digs during that long rally that Creighton won when Nora put the ball down. That thing pretty much wrapped up the match for Creighton at that point because that was a big momentum shift. And those two made great defensive plays on that. But yeah, creating chaos with that serve. And it's interesting too because Creighton servers all line up in different spots, really. Like, what does that signify? Like, you know, Ali is standing behind zone one, Kendra and Jayla are more in the middle. And then Keely and Abby are kind of, um, you know, behind zone five in front of their own bench. Like what's, what's the, I don't know the, the, what does that signal in terms of like why they choose to line up in those spots? What, what does that mean? Um, and all that, I wouldn't say it's anything super specific. A lot of it is just preference, honestly. Oh. Of yeah, where the you know where that server wants to hit their serve from and feels really comfortable doing it. I mean, sometimes you might see somebody shift if they're gonna serve to a, to a specific zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people just get really comfortable in the spot and just you know can kind of place the ball well um, from that specific angle that they're serving from. So they'll yeah. just kind of stay where they are and where they feel like they can kind of see the court. Yeah, that's one thing I kind of look back to that Texas match that you guys played in Austin. I think in, you know, in 2016, like one of the things that Texas did for it was serve a lot of their servers kind of stood in the middle. And I don't know if that was like hard for uh, you guys, like you guys to read in terms of like, where do we think, what seem do we think they're trying to hit here? If they're standing in the middle, like they, does it give you more options depending on where you're on the court? Like if you're on the far side, are you not as likely to go line just because it's a really tough um you not you don't have as much room to land it, I guess, or to hit a seam because you're only aiming for one. Well, so I would say about the Texas thing, I'd say the biggest thing Texas did, you know, they're I think honestly they were trying to screen because uh, their blockers are large, right? Standing yes. in the middle and they're standing straight behind them in the middle. So your passers can't see the ball until it's coming right over the net. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you see that happen sometimes. Um but yeah, it kind of just depends. I guess maybe it's a philosophy, like of something that they just do, but it can be helpful sometimes, I guess. I mean, if you want to do that to a team and kind of delay, you know, how soon they can see the ball, which does make it really hard to pass. So you can't see, you know, the hand contact and when it's kind of released. So is that a big weapon of Jayla's then? If you're talking about, she lines up almost directly in the middle of the court. Um, she's like practically dead center and she likes to, you know, she likes to drop serve a lot, like, or uh, what is it, like those dive bomb serves where they serve them short into that kind of into that donut area, right? Like, is that a factor for her in terms of hiding the ball um, behind her blockers? And then the minute they see it, it's kind of like taking a nosedive into the middle of the court. And because you see a lot of middle backs have to like just book it to get the Jayla serves a lot, even though they're not the hardest hit things in the world. Is it because they don't get a good read off of it because of where she's hitting it from? Um, you know, it could be part of it. You know, another part of it is too typically um the team that's receiving they usually stack 
their hitters to one side just to kind of create that opening in the middle so you can you know get your approach in there for the middle um so yeah it could definitely be part of it and then yeah it's just it's hard to read especially those dropper balls um so you know it kind of looks the same and then all of a sudden it kind of bottoms out and you're like oh shoot like I need to move my feet way up there Mm -hmm. so could definitely be a combination of both things but yeah, I mean, getting that ball over without them seeing it um, super soon is is helpful. Yeah, I'm asking the right questions tonight because I'm learning a lot from this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you just know so much about the game. Uh, yeah, good, good day for Kiana, right? Like, Naomi Hickman was uh, – yeah. she wasn't feeling well today. That's why she wasn't in the gym or on the bench or anything. Um, but Kiana stepped up, seven kills, 16 swings, no errors, um, blocked really well. She had five blocks. Her and Annika blocked really well today. Uh, you know, we've talked about them a lot, but just in terms of Kiana stepping up after, you know, not getting as many sets on Friday, right? Turning right around, hey, we don't have Nay today. You know, she's our best blocker, you know, our six, our fifth-year senior. Like, there's, you know, she's there's so much steadiness to her game. We know what to expect out of her. What, what did, it, you know, Kiana show you in terms of just stepping up and, um when she when there's not that like senior sub waiting for you right like if kiana doesn't have it it's easy to bring nay or annika in to deal to to carry the load right today there wasn't that luxury without naomi so annika and kiana had to be sharp and they were both blocking and and hitting even though um even though annika probably wants to hit a higher percentage yeah, you know, I thought she did a great job and, you know, and today, you know, she had an opportunity kind of, you know, to make the start and make the most of it. And I, you know, I thought she did really well. I mean, she had the highest hitting percentage of anyone on the team today. So yeah. I thought that was really good to see. And then blocking wise too, I thought she made really good moves, um, you know, when she was one-on-one and just did different things, um, you know, that kind of just showed her experience and what she can do. Is there, is there something different that you've noticed in the way Annika and Kiana hit the slide? Because they both hit it well, but Kiana had more success today. Was she doing something a little bit different from a technique standpoint that allowed her to be more successful, or was it just a matter of who was in front of her at that given moment? Um, You know, I think she just hits the ball at a really high point, which I think we've talked about before, but mm-hmm. she hits it really high, and then she kind of just gets on top of it and snaps. So I think that was really helpful, and then – I thought at times today, Annika was running that slide, but maybe was kind of just hitting in front of her more than changing her angle on her attack. So like dropping her thumb or doing more of a, like a thumb up or cutting it more. So I thought there were a couple of mm-hmm. times Annika got blocked like back to back. I thought she kind of just was going maybe for like the easy angle on it. And she maybe kind of like tooled or, you know, done something a little bit different and been more mm-hmm. creative. So yeah, I don't know. I think she just, you know, it was probably hard to track um, for those left side blockers, Kiana was. So, yeah. yeah, I think they both do it well. And, you know, as long as they kind of diversify what they do when they do the slide attack, I think they'll both be really successful and can have really good numbers, you know, hit above 350 and 400 for sure. For sure. Yeah, that's that number you talked about, that kind of that sweet spot, because you want it to be, you know, at least a healthy 100 points higher than your left side, right? Because of just the you know the, the sample size and whatnot yeah um, yeah for sure Jayla was Jayla right like <laughs> she just like sneaks up these like these legitimately steady awesome across the board right where you can't find a weakness in the in the performance I mean you know I, she probably doesn't want to hit 179 but nine kills only two errors right 
Uh, she gets three assists, which means she's passing well out of system. Um, two aces, we talked about her serving, her little drop serves. Uh, and then a career-high 22 digs to go along with five blocks. Like, come on. I mean, that's just – that's a superstar right there. She's just like <laughs> – she's – you know, she's back off the, you know, she's back um, off the injury, right, or whatever she was out for. Uh, played well against Marquette, played well that really that first weekend back. And now you're like, it's it's crunch time for her because we don't, we don't know if she's going to take her super senior year next year and come back for another year. So right now you're looking at, what, four regular season matches left, at most two Big East tournament matches, that's six. And then, you know, if you win a national title, that's six more. So at most, there are 12 matches left in her college volleyball career. And who knows if she wants to play after this. Um, this type of performance today shows, like, it's just another – it's an example of, like, when seniors kind of step up in the moment and they know that there's not a lot of time left and they don't take it for granted. Uh, today looked like a – and she looked exhausted, too. Like I said, she's flying all around. 22 digs in a match like this, that was not an easy match to play. Um, it was impressive watching Jayla today. It really was. Yeah, I thought she did a really nice job. And yeah, I definitely noticed defensively, you know, she's, she was flying around and, you know, just covering the court really, really well. And, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, her typical game, right. To have more digs than she does kills, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think maybe it's not your day offensively. And I mean, Butler is playing some tough defense. So, I mean, I'm sure it's frustrating. And I mean, I've been in that position too. It's like, dang, they're digging me, you know, every time or the rally keeps going on, you know, when are you so hopefully getting the kill and it's over, but mm-hmm. those matches are tough to play. So you kind of just got to play the match that's in front of you. And if it's going to be your day to play defense and get a lot of digs, then it is. So I thought she did that well. And then, blocking too she was in there had four block assists so yeah just an awesome all-around match and you you know kind of maybe take it for granted because you're used to kind of seeing Jayla and all the all the stat categories right but yeah. I think today is another good example of just kind of what she does and she touches every single part of the game um, yeah. so she's so important and just everything that they do she's really special in in the way she can do that right like that's not a <clears throat> there's <clears throat> excuse me there's lots of players who are you know, they've got, like, especially someone who gets a lot of attacks, right? Like, it would be easy for Jayla just to be, like, to go kind of hot and cold based on how she's hitting. But she just, like you said, she touches so much of the game that there's never really a way to say, oh, well, she hit, like, 150 today. That's not a good day for Jayla because she'll make it up in other areas. You know, how unique is that for a player to be kind of a star in so many different ways? not just when, you know, you're having a good hitting day or a bad hitting day. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of the makeup of a great player. Um, you know, because you – it can't be your night every single night. You know, you, you mm-hmm. can't have 30 kills a night, and, you know, it's just not going to happen for you. So just to see people kind of adjust their game and based on kind of what the team's giving them or maybe the team, you know, really scouted her and had her covered blocking – um, she just, you know, went and did something else, you know, or she attacked really well from the back row, you know, so it's just, it's that makeup of a really, really great player and you have to be able to adjust and, you know, kind of feel out what's happening and kind of what their defense is giving you. So yeah, it's just awesome to see and so important to her team. It's just like, you can't emphasize that enough, just everything that she does. Yeah. You were part of that. You were part of her breakout, like that breakout sophomore year, your last team, your last year at Creighton was her kind of her jumping off point when, you know, after Jaylee and Taryn left, 
you had one year to go and that was kind of like, all right, let's throw Jayla into the, into that role and see how she does. Um, what's, what's impressed you the most about her career arc going from, you know, kind of having to wait um, behind Jaylee and Taryn, uh, kind of sticking with it and like rounding out her game. Um, and now to the point where, you know, when she goes out there, you can rely on her, legitimately rely on her to make winning plays in all six rotations. Like she, whether it's hitting, uh, defense, serve, receive, serving, blocking, um, communication, uh, communication in the huddle when, you know, when teams are going on runs, like just the kind of the all aspects of her game, what's it been like to see where she started and where she's at right now? You know, it's been fun just to kind of see her take on that leadership role. I think coming in, I think we knew that she was somebody that was really level-headed and kind of that like steady Eddie type of player and um, somebody that, you know, just gets along with people really well and people will fall behind kind of and look to. So it's been fun to see that just from like knowing her as a freshman to, you know, now. Um, But yeah, I think everything that she does, both like tangibly and intangibly is so important and um, she is that vocal leader for them and a lot of times emotional leader too. So the way, you know, that she impacts the team, even off the court, I think is so important and, you know, something that you wouldn't see as a fan, but it's, it's just awesome. And to see her, her growth too, you know, just as a player, I think hitting wise, I think she's gotten so much smarter as a hitter and mm-hmm. she has, you know, every shot in the book. So I think that also makes her really fun to watch because she's not predictable. Um, in offense and then in defense I mean tonight was a really good example but she's she's really solid defensively and service serving so you go down the list of every skill and it seems like she's in there and she's really successful at it yeah and she's she's just a straight-up winner too like that's one of the things that it's like there's a lot of winners in that gym but it just feels like she has a gear that she can go to when it's just time to make a tough play and I think that's infectious. I think the whole team feels like they're never in a situation they can't handle when she's on the floor. It's like one of those things. It's like you talked about the intangibles, right? Um, she's she's so solid in every single area, and the her teammates trust her so much that it doesn't matter who they're playing, whether it's on the road at number three, Kentucky, the reigning national champs, whether it's on the road at Marquette and she hasn't practiced for three weeks and you don't know what you're going to get out of her really. Um, and you need to beat Marquette because you got to keep pace uh, to, to try to win the league title again. And she shows up and, and dominates that game. Um, like she just, it's, it's, it's just part of who she is at this point. It's that's what makes her special is like that winning all those winning components, right? Because there's so many things that she'll do that will impact it that it's not like she might not have the flashiest stat sheet on every single night. You know what I mean? The, the, the numbers might not always be there, but when you add up everything she did, if you threw that into one category, it's just, it's just a winner. She's just a winner. That's what makes her special. It's like, she'll do whatever she needs to do on any given night to win. I think that's like, you can clearly tell because of how well-rounded her game is that winning is the most important thing to her. Cause it's not just like, she doesn't want to go in there and like, I want 40 or 50 sets. And if I don't get it, I'm going to get pouty. And if I don't hit well, I'm not going to try. I'm not, I'm kind of going to get it in my own head and not, it's going to impact the rest of my game. 
Like, there's no way to get Jayla on tilt, really. You know what I mean? Like, if she gets blocked, she's going to nail the next pass um, to Kendra. So Kendra will set her again so she can put it back in that blocker's face, right? Like, that's the kind of mentality that Jayla has. And I think it all just comes from wanting to win so bad. I think that's, like, what makes her, what drives her. Yeah, I agree. She is a winner, and, you know, she's going to do whatever she can to impact the game. Um, just to win and to hopefully lead her team to victory. So it's just really fun to kind of see her, you know, in this role now as a senior, which mm-hmm. is crazy because it seems like yesterday she was a freshman. But... I know. I know. <laughs> doesn't seem like it was that long ago you played, but the years are starting to fly by. I know. I'm like reminded how old I am. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that about covers um, our analysis from this weekend. So let's let's kind of like look ahead to – you know, what the Big East title picture looks like. So, you know, right now with, with the loss today, Butler's eight and six. So we kind of talked about that um, maybe last week, right, that we felt like DePaul is in a good spot to probably the favorite in our mind to get that fourth and final spot. We feel like UConn, Marquette, and Creighton are going to need to like, you know, uh, well, Creighton and Marquette have both clinched a spot, I think, in this thing already. Um, so UConn's probably not far behind either. But Butler and DePaul play each other one time. I think it's at Hinkle. Um, there's no rematch this year. So they got four matches left. But Butler has to play. Yeah, Butler has to play DePaul. They have to play Marquette again. They have to play UConn again. Like, that's a tough schedule for them, even though I was impressed with how they played today. But, man, that – so – and then after that, Villanova and Xavier are both two matches behind them. So it is kind of like – you know, you've got the three, and then it looks like it's just going to be a dogfight for that fourth spot between DePaul and Butler. Um, but that's going to make for one hell of a conference tournament, though, because if 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 what you're seeing today was one versus four, right, if everybody just wins out, you know, and then Creighton's the one seed, like that was a dogfight today. That was a battle. Um, so if that's your one-four matchup in the Big East tournament, and then you have Mar- Marquette and UConn, um, who played a really tight match out in stores, like, and UConn's been playing pretty well towards the second half of the season, right? I mean, that's going to be a heck of a conference tournament. That almost might be a toss-up, really. Like, I know you'd have probably favor, you know, the Jays because they've won it so much, but there's, like, there's honestly four teams that could win it right there. Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely a toss-up. I mean, definitely the most competitive, I think, Big East tournament, you know, for several years. Yeah. Um, going back but yeah I really think it will be a dogfight and any team honestly could win I agree yeah so that's the way it lays out there's four matches left in the regular season for everybody um yeah it's, it's creeping up we're about to get some postseason volleyball now so like what what's the what's important for the players now what's uh these last two weeks of the regular season to get yourself kind of put you obviously you're chasing that regular season title you want to cross you want to check that box off first just you want to keep winning, number one. Um, but there's not much left in terms of opportunities to get better, right, in the gym and in, and in matches. So how do you – what's the focus now as these last two weeks of the regular season line up for you going into conference tournament play, going into NCAA tournament play? How does that look for a player? You know, the first thing I would say is stay healthy. I mean, do everything you can to stay healthy. Stay on top of your rehab would be the number one thing. Um, just because the season starts to get long now. But 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can overlook these matches either. They, you know, have to go to Georgetown and Villanova. And especially for Villanova, that one sticks out to me as one that, you know, Villanova, I think, plays really, really well at home. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's always a toss up, I think, um, when you go there. But I think they swept the Jays last time they were there, too, right? They they swept Creighton last time they played at Villanova. Did they? I think so. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I don't know. I would believe it. But. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, from that aspect, I guess don't overlook it. Take it one match at a time. Um, but, yeah, then you're going in, and I think you just have to, you know, kind of fine-tune. You're at that point in the season where you're not going to be learning new skills every day and things, but just kind of working on fine-tuning and working on those connections offensively, I think, with Kendra and, you know, just getting that down so everyone kind of knows where the ball is going to be. And then blocking defense, I think, you know, just – keeping keeping up on those skills and hopefully getting a little bit better every single day does it help that they can like circle a match you know that st john's match is the last match of the regular season for creighton at home so it's going to be you know senior day against a team that's beaten them this year does it help to have something like that to look forward to still like it, you know it'd be kind of compared like i think you guys played marquette second to last day of the year one year like that was a huge match i remember the crowd was crazy does it help when you have like a marquee match that you can circle before you get into postseason play? Cause you can kind of treat it like an NCAA tournament match before you actually get to postseason play. Does that, does that factor in at all? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're going to be ready to go and yeah, just with it being senior day and having lost to St. John's, I'm sure they're going to be in for some revenge um, mm-hmm. on that day, especially at home too with their home crowd. So, yeah, I think so, and I think that'll be a big match. And hopefully St. John plays well, you know. I mean, I guess you hope they don't play well, but at the same time, hopefully it's a really good match. And um, you kind of get that last, like, final match before you go into a really competitive Big East championship. That's kind of a look into you right there, right? Because you don't want any excuses. Like, you want the other team (laughs) to play their A game, so when you beat them, there's nothing they can say but that you were better. Is that kind of what your mentality was? (laughs) Yeah, I just mean, I like, you want it to be a competitive match, right? You just, you don't want to be like, okay, I showed up and I'm just going to win. You know, hopefully it's a good competitive match. So they're actually prepared, you know, you know, okay. they don't just get to kind so of take like, a day off and just go through the motions. Gotcha. So, yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah, I just thought that from a, from a standpoint of not looking ahead to the conference tournament that the St. John's match might provide them with. Well, first of all, Villanova. The, I think I'm pretty sure the last time they played at Villanova, they got swept. I think I think that was your senior year because they didn't. Well, maybe they played before that. I guess it was probably the year after you graduated. I was gonna say I did not get swept by Villanova. Oh, you didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think she's like. How dare you? Maybe we did. How maybe dare we you did. say that to me? Oh my gosh, we did, and it was on my birthday. No, was it real? Oh yeah, wait. Tomorrow's your birthday. That's right. Tomorrow's my birthday, but yeah, we literally got swept by Villanova on my birthday. That's what I thought that might, I thought that was the case. So that really, that really. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, see. I I must have just blocked it out, honestly. You probably (laughs) did. You're probably probably like, that that did not happen. No way. Yeah, that's the, yeah. So there you go. So how many players were on that team? Keela, (laughs) Keely, Jayla, Bressman, Naomi. Yeah, there's like four or five players that I remember that right there. So they won't be. They won't lack for motivation against Villanova is the last time that they got to do that. Sorry, Meg. I didn't mean to bring that up. I didn't know it was on your birthday. I thought it was late in the season. Oh, my gosh. 
No, I really blocked that out. I don't remember that. Well, let's see. Did I ever lose to them? Then? I lost to them once there, too, again. They swept us in 2017. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and 2015, we got beat by them. Oh. Yeah, they're t- Villanova's the team that, like, kind of – it's funny because Villanova's kind of the team that, get, that beats Creighton a lot in volleyball, and then Creighton's the team that beats Villanova a lot in men's basketball. So it's like the trade-off of the two, <laughs> the two Big East dynasties. Oh, like, it's gosh. crazy. Yeah, happy birthday. Shout out to Megan. We got to get that. I forgot. I, I wrote that down. I remember to do it. So um, sorry for bringing up the bad birthday memory. Is there a good oh, birthday God. memory on volleyball? Did you guys like win a title on that day or something? It's late in the year. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to, I'll have to go back and like do a, you know, an on this. Yeah, let me know. Let me yeah. know if it did happen. Yeah, on Megan Mallinger's birthday in 2016, Creighton did this. Um <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, well, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, this has been really fun to kind of get to break down volleyball on a podcast. Uh, so, yeah, keep tuning in. We appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate your feedback. Um, we'll come at you next week. Again, happy birthday to Megan. Um, <laughs> thank you Thanks. always for your analysis. Uh, yeah, for Matt, or for Megan, I'm Matt. Thank you for everybody for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Cool.